This episode is brought to you by who else but Odeon. I love an Odeon, especially an Odeon Lux. Whether I'm on the red carpet at a movie premiere or popping down to my local cinema, the feeling is always the same. Pulling open the door to hear the huge, spine-tingling Dolby Atmos sound bellowing from within. The irresistible glow of the gigantic 4K iSense screen drawing you towards it, four times sharper to capture every detail. Relaxing into those luxurious reclining seats and feeling that sense of anticipation as you excitedly sip on your favourite tipple before emerging at the end of the film trying to put into words what you've just experienced. It's nothing short of magic. You can book your Odeon Lux experience at odeon.co.uk or on the Odeon app. They say we make movies better and I couldn't agree more. Also, just before we head to our fantastic virtual cinema, how would you like a pair of tickets to head to a fantastic and very real cinema? Because the lovely people at Odeon have given us a pair of tickets to hand out every show. And if you'd like the chance to head to your nearest Odeon and enjoy a movie, all you need to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a comment on our socials. I'll explain more at the end of the show. Finally, if you want some visual extras from the show or to get in touch, we are on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at Trip to Movies Pod. And if you like to watch your interviews rather than listen, go ahead and subscribe to our Trip to the Movies YouTube channel where you'll find the full video interviews in glorious Technicolor. All right, back to this episode. If you're ready, let's do this. Hello and welcome to A Trip to the Movies, the podcast where each week a special guest takes us on an incredible journey as they curate their perfect night out at our fantastic virtual cinema. This week we are joined by a brilliant actor who has appeared in the likes of the BBC's hugely popular Silent Witness and ITV's Strangers and who currently has not one but two massive movies gracing the big screen over the next month, the blockbusting take on the much-loved role-playing game Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, which came out on Friday, and Guy Ritchie's Afghanistan-set war movie, The Covenant. Taking us on today's trip to the movies, it is the excellent Jason Wong. Jason, hello! Hello, Alex. Thank you so much for having me here. (laughs) Oh, mate, it's great to have you on. So, I mean, wow, like two huge movies out in the space of three weeks. How are you feeling? A bit overwhelmed, I'm not going to lie. I never thought I'd be in a position where two films that are coming out literally three weeks apart. So it's a lot to take in. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's really nice to be in that position. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to the audiences seeing two contrasting films, one big fantasy film and mm-hmm. one really epic, heartfelt war film that a lot of people will resonate with because it just happened not too long ago. And it looks like a different side of, of Guy Ritchie and his, and his storytelling. I mean, I want to talk The Covenant because you're right. It's, it's so far outside the wheelhouse, I guess, a lot of us know for Guy Ritchie. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, for me, like I've always, I think when I first watched his Sherlock Holmes films, I was like, I really want to watch Guy Ritchie. And, uh, and later on down the line, I ended up, you know, we ended up doing stuff together. It, like we met each other in jiu-jitsu in, in a jiu-jitsu class when we're just beating each other. Well, he was beating me up really. And then, uh, <laughs> I never ever told him I was an actor. And then, you know, putting in the work and everything. And then one day I just got the call and, and he asked me, he goes, Jay, are you a stuntman? I was, no, I'm an actor. And that was it. No more conversation about acting. And I never ever spoke to him about films or acting either on the mats. It was just purely about jiu-jitsu. And then one day I got a call and I was like, oh, I would like you in his next film. And I went, oh, and, and that was it. And then slowly, <clears throat> I feel like I've progressed film after, like I've done three pictures with him now. Each film, he's just given me a little bit more. He's just testing me first and then it's sort of elevated. And then, and then now we're doing the covenant together. So 
Yeah, it's uh, it was a gentleman, wrath of man, and 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 now the covenant. So you you're, you're fighting Guy Ritchie. Were you were you at the same club, or did did you meet and discover that? Because you're are you a brown belt and he's a he's a black belt. Yeah, he's a black belt, and he was a brown belt at the time. I think I was a blue belt, and and we've been we're training at Roger Gracie Academy in Hammersmith, and he just came in and and just beat the crap out of me basically <laughs> he's a tough guy like he's got a black belt in Shotokan and in judo as well so he's he's well versed in martial arts and he trained with the old school guys who were super tough so he just beat the crap out of me and I was like no I'm gonna get him back <laughs> so I, I haven't been able to so far yet though did did you know it was Guy Ritchie when you first started fighting him or did someone go do you know who you're fighting no, I knew it was Guy. So when he came on, because he, you know, he's got a strong presence. When he walks on the mat, everyone knows him. Everyone says hello, and he just—he sort of looks. He looks always looks with the lowest belt just to warm up with, and I was his, basically his warm up partner. He was just smashing, and then I was just like, oh god, yeah. And then so he beasted me. <laughs> <laughs> and and so we're saying, as yet, you have not bested Guy Ritchie in a fight. No, not yet, because he's sort of he's had a few injuries, and and I feel like I've progressed a little bit, but I haven't had that chance to to get my revenge. <laughs> <laughs> and and you believe you believe this injury story, do you? you genuinely believe it? It's not. I'd love Jason. I would love to fight today, but I got this this ankle thing. You believe him? That's funny. It is an ankle thing. He actually has an, like he's got a few injuries. He's boxing a lot now from when I see him on set. But he is, you know, he's still tough as nails though. If you, if there was a little Instagram post of him and Stafe when they were sizing each other up as a joke, and he did a spinning back kick and then knocked this knocked this bottle cap off. And I was like, all right, he's still got it. He, he pretends <laughs> like he's all fried, but he's, he's a tough. He's tough. <laughs> so, so Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. That's what you do now. You started in uh, was it uh, Wing Chun though? Wing Chun Kung Fu. Yeah, I went to Hong Kong because I thought I was going to, I wanted to go, after I graduated from drama school, I went over to Hong Kong. I was like, I'm going to learn Wing Chun. And I also had this back, thought in my head that I was going to be like a Hong Kong actor as well because I loved Hong Kong cinema. And I went there and I went, oh, it's very much different than in England and how we do acting. And it never really worked out for me. So I just focused on learning martial arts there. And obviously Bruce Lee's been a massive influence on my life. And so I was like, all right, I want to follow his footsteps and learn martial arts there and then came back. So I've been doing that since, what, 2007 as well. well I've been doing martial arts all my life. It must be nice being part of Warrior as, as well then. Uh, Warrior was great fun. I mean, that is that was a great set. I just got to go and work with my mates and work with an incredible stunt team, Brett Chan and Johnny Yang. These guys did like the Iron Fist and they, they've done some amazing They've done some amazing fight choreography and they were just like top of the game. Mm. Um, so the Covenant, as I said, outside, this is the first like war movie that uh, that Guy Ritchie's done. And I remember interviewing him for the uh, the King Arthur movie he did. And he said, as he's maturing as a filmmaker, he does, he does want to try things that perhaps 10 years ago he didn't feel ready to do. Was this a, a different kind of guy on set? Did you feel like he was challenging himself? Was it different to when you've worked with him before? Yeah, Guy's always pushing the boundaries with each film he does. But this one, dare I say it, it's beautiful. There's a lot more tenderness. You'll see a lot more vulnerabilities in the characters that he's talking about. And actually that shows in the way that Guy was directing us as well. He was being a bit more delicate because a lot of the other ones, he's a bit more, you know, Jack the Lad, a bit more brash, especially with like the gentleman because that's, that's what the genre that he's been known for. But this one, he was a lot more tender with his approach. You just take the actor aside and just be a lot more, even his direction was just like, all right, just take it a bit more easier. Not so aggressive. You know, it, it just different ways in which I was like, oh, this is a different side of Guy that he's directed, especially when he was directing the more tender moments with, with Jake as well. I was like, oh, okay. But there were moments where there was bants and everything, but there, there was just a slight different undertone 
he was trying to get more vulnerability from the actors in in, in this film, which is unusual. <laughs> I mean, it sounds it sounds great because you, you're right. I mean, his uh, so many of his movies have been enjoyably fueled on that machismo and and lad bants for want of a, a, a better expression. So it does sound intriguing to uh, to see him have a more uh, a, a more subtle approach to, I guess, male relationships. But you mentioned Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, who obviously stars alongside yourself in The Covenant. Um, so he was in Jarhead, and you were in Jarhead too. Field of Fire <laughs> was was that a nice icebreaker? I never told him that I did Jarhead 2 and I made sure everyone else I said who I said to everyone was like don't tell him I did Jarhead 2 because they didn't have the same budget so I kept it quiet I never ever mentioned it. I still don't think he knows that I did Jarhead 2 but I never ever mentioned it to him <laughs> and, uh, but I was like his assistant was going I'm going to tell you I was like don't tell him man because I was like I don't want him to go over there and then try and watch it no but he knew it he knew it existed but I never ever told him I was in it um, I think there was a brief exchange i think there was a brief conversation because jarhead three and four have consequently been uh franchised out and we're just talking about that but you know we, we stopped the conversation it's like i sort of tried to change it to a different direction because i was a little bit embarrassed <laughs> <laughs> oh man are you not worried that when he finally watches he's like well that's hang on that's jason and he didn't tell me <laughs> i hope not anyway, i hope i hope he doesn't watch it because jarhead jarhead was such an incredible film and it's so it's completely different to to the to the style of film because originally it was called recon and had a separate name and it was never associated and then they, and i think universal just wanted to do a franchise offshoot of of u.s marines and we shot it in bulgaria one of those, huh? One of those where they go, "Hey, this script is this script is good, but you know what would make it better if we put the word Cloverfield in the title." But but it's got nothing to do with that. It doesn't matter. Just call it Cloverfield something. Exactly. But you know what? It did have a great cast, though. Interesting enough, it had Cole Hauser, who's in Yellowstone, Bokeem Woodbine, who's one of the legends of of cinema as well. So I got to get along, and Stephen Lang, who's in Avatar. So and Issa Morales, who's now in Mission Impossible. So and Danielle Savare, she's in Station Ninety. So there was a good cast that was assembled, and Jesse Garcia. So he's he's doing stuff with Eva Longoria right now. So there was a good strong cast there. And and so we've all gone to different places, but we've all still elevated in, in, in enough of the work. So yeah, it was a good cast, but storyline was. <laughs> I hear that uh, I hear that Guy Ritchie uh, makes a mean barbecue on set uh, for you guys sometimes. He does, and you know sometimes you get you get invited to the table, you sit down, and he he cooks you a lovely piece of steak, or he gives you a nice piece of grilled chicken, and you just sit there and have a little chat and. And uh, yeah, so it's a bit surreal though because you're in the middle of a desert on this beautiful barbecue that he's made this cashmere caveman barbecue and he's there cooking you lunch with reggae reggae sauce and you're just going, what is going on on top of the mountains in, in Alicante eating a barbecue with Guy Ritchie? It's, it's a weird feeling, man. Because Alex, we've known each other from back in the day, so you've known, you see me, you know, from just doing little parts to, I guess, to being in this position where I'm very lucky and fortunate. So it was a surreal moment. That was like, okay. <laughs> what's his What's his best dish? What's his speciality? Is there one thing that you go, if, if Guy's going to do your barbecue, you want this? Uh, sirloin steak. He does a mean sirloin. Like, yeah, he does. He cooks beef really well. And he prides himself that he'll smoke it out. He, like, he'll look at it. He really pays attention whilst he's doing it. <laughs> 
I bet he does. I bet he does. I can imagine. For some reason, it fits. It fits seeing Guy Ritchie at a barbecue. I love it. Let's talk Dungeons and Dragons, though, because obviously this this came out on Friday. I saw it yesterday. Oh man, it is. It's not only great. I mean, I, we were just talking before we started about you know two almost note perfect blockbusters in the space of two weeks: John Wick Four and now Dungeons and Dragons. On top of everything, it's funny, man. It's a funny movie, isn't it? Chris Pine is so funny in it. He's even funnier than those videos that came out of Venice with Harry Styles. When I read the script, I'm not going to lie, when I read the script, I was like, these jokes are going to be dead. These are proper like dad jokes. They're not going to sell on screen. Like this is going to be one of them films where they have big expectations and it's going to just not get to that level, right? And then I watched them do it and I went, and I'm cracking, I'm trying not to crack up on set and I'm watching him do these lines and I'm watching Hugh Grant do them as well. And I'm going... God damn, like they, 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 yeah, they were great. And, and, and that was the first time I was like, okay, reading comedy and seeing how people deliver it, it has a different, there's a different nuance to that. So yeah, they, they are funny. And Hugh Grant, damn it, man, he's so funny. Like when you watch it, you just go, he, he gets the most laughs. So I was like, he comes in, he's dashing, he's grumpy sometimes, and he comes in and smashes it on set. And, and, and he still does really well. And people get the laughs, and, and he's just great. He's a really lovely guy, actually. I mean, he's so, so good in it. It's like a, it's a it's a role perfect for Hugh Grant to really just dial up that smugness. It's it's brilliant. You weren't you weren't a big role player though as a kid. You see, I was. I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, unfortunately, I played a, a different system called Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which is very similar. Oh, I know Warhammer. Yeah. You know it, yeah. Yeah, I used to I used to play. I used to I used I got into Warhammers, but I only liked doing the artwork on them. So I used to paint Warhammers, but I never got to play it because it used to be up in the plaza off Oxford Circus where they had the game shop there. And I yes. used to go there and buy the, all the Warhammer stuff. And I used to paint it, me and my brother, but we never got into the – because there was no one else to play with us to, to play the game. So we just did lots of Warhammer painting, but we never played the played the actual game, which was such a shame. But by all accounts, like I, I spoke to someone who's a, a diehard D&D fan and they went to see this movie and they came out and they were like, this is – this is this is for the fans, like because I'm not, and I loved it. But apparently, if you are a Dungeons and Dragons fan, this movie is ticking boxes that your regular cinema goer won't even notice. There's a lot of homage to the to the people who play the tabletop game, and there's parts where they've got cartoons of the original characters from the cartoon up in the auditorium. When you watch that scene, you'll see Hugh Grant in the auditorium. If you look around, you'll see the old cartoon characters pasted around them. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I never get Easter eggs. I'm one of those guys. People go, "Did you see the Easter egg?" I'm like, "No." And this one, yeah, like uh, the the whole cast from, "Hey, look, it's a Dungeons and Dragons ride." The cartoon. I was like, "There they are." I even I spotted that one. It's great. It's great. And even when they were going through the town, when when I think Chris and Michelle were going through the town, you'll see lots of like people, like lots of other characters from the universe just at the back, just having a casual chat. And, and so there's lots of things like my friends are huge fans. And I was like, why do I have a green flame? Because obviously I didn't know that when the script and they added that later on. Went, Dude, this is an incarnation spell that you have. Da, da, da. I went, oh crap. All right, cool. <laughs> so yeah, they're giving me the full lowdown. I didn't really, I'm not going to lie. I didn't have to do that much, that much research because it was all online and I had people telling me what, what was going on. So I was like, oh cool. This is great. This is, this is quite easy for me because normally you're doing tons of research. And, and this time I just had people just telling me unsolicited messages coming at me. As soon as it was announced, I was like, all right, you know what this character is about? And I had like, long paragraphs on Instagram and my, my friends texting me going, Oh my God. And then I had long emails as well. So research wasn't very hard for me on this one. <laughs> um, uh, you, you have uh, in it, uh, your character, uh, 
Drellas, uh, you have a fight, uh, a really beautifully choreographed fight. First of all, love the fact it goes from a sword fight to a knife fight. We don't see that many knife fights on screen anymore. I was watching it going, I honestly think Under Siege, Seagal versus Tommy Lee Jones is the last great knife fight I saw on screen. Yeah, so funny enough, that was the reason why we had a knife fight because the stunt coordinator, Troy, and Anton, who was Reggae's double, and Dante, who was my double, they were, they were all huge fans of Under Siege. So we're like, that was that was the last great knife fight. And we're talking exactly what you just said. We're talking about that on set. And that was a homage to the to the hand-to-hand combat knife fight. And uh, yeah, they oh, the, the guy who's, who created the stunt fights, Troy, he was incredible. And it really, that fight sequence that you see is only a quarter of what we actually did. So the whole fight scene that we shot, the previous, we shot about three, nearly four minutes worth of fight content, me and Reggae. We, I think the full sequence is about 380 to 400 movements that we did. There's lots of bouncing off walls. There's lots of sliding. There's way more than what you saw on screen. That was way more dynamic. But I think it was just too long. So it took away from uh, the end fight scene, which you'll see. But, you know, it was, it was epic. It was so much fun. We shot, we've rehearsed that for three weeks every day including weekends i think we did this seven six day weeker where we're training two to three hours a day and we're doing our own choreography work with our stunt doubles so about four hours each day me and reggae would come in so he'd come and work with his double i would come and work my double and then we'd split and then we'd go off and do our things and we'll come back together in the final hour and by that time we're just exhausted because like well these swords that we were wielding the stunt swords were rubber but they were still heavy they're still about like two and a half kg that we're wielding at each other's heads Jeez. And there were lots of sore fingers because we. Sm- <laughs> I think I got stabbed by him as well. He stabbed me in the leg. What? Um, yeah, because I mistimed something and I was supposed to block it. And I went high instead of going low. And he just went, oh, but I went, ah, oh. <laughs> to the ground. But it, these things are bound to happen. And then by accident, he was supposed to block lower and instead he blocked high. And I smashed him in his fingers as well. So <laughs> there was a lot. Like we literally, me and him had blood. We literally, there was blood and sweat a lot. And, and both of our arms were just bruised to hell, especially when we're doing the hand-to-hand knife knife fight scene. And what made it even challenging is when you see the set, you'll see the steps that we fight up on. Mm-hmm. They were so uneven because those steps were based on a giant causeway in Northern Ireland because that's where we shot it. So we had a little homage there for Northern Ireland. But the floor's uneven. And so when we're fighting upstairs anyway, it's it was challenging. And we did all our own wire work and everything. So I felt like, this was like a boyhood dream. We get to like smash each other with swords. <laughs> so wow. it, was, it was great. Well, so, I mean, pretty much when people are watching that, it, it really is Jason and Reggae beating each other up in a movie. For real. Yeah, literally. <laughs> for real. Like me and him trained hard for that. And that's why me and him looked at each other. That was like the most exhausting thing we had to do. Because if we did, when we did the whole fight scene, we didn't stop like for about three and a half minutes. Me and him at the end, we're just going... <laughs> gasping for air trying to look cool for the pose as well so you can see us like I think well they'll throw it behind the scenes at some point me and him like as soon as they call cut me and him just drop to the floor and just pass out <laughs> we're so exhausted so let's look to the future I mean I, I, obviously uh, Dungeons and Dragons is, is, is clearly set up as uh, as a potential franchise starter when you've got a, a property like D&D why wouldn't you and like the whole the whole movie feels like this could be the start of something are they already talking about that were there, were there murmurs on set of like where this could go I would love if because my character's undead so <laughs> and so my character so I would love if this was a if this you know developed into more films 
To be honest, I don't know. We're all murmuring whether this was going to be a franchise, but I, I, I feel like they have to see what the first film is going to do and what it's going to, how it's, how people are going to respond to it because the first one they did it wasn't a huge success that they thought it was going to be. And this film, you know, it's, it's got great reviews. It's got all the hype. People have been watching it, but we need to see if people actually go into the cinema and see it. So I, I think we'll see how it does over the weekend. And after that, we'll fingers crossed. Uh, they'll start seeing if we could do a uh, potentially more. I, I would love to go back and do more. I mean, it's, Dungeons and Dragons, and I get to wield a sword and, and dress like a scary person and, and <laughs> fight reggae. <laughs> so. Well, talking of going to the cinema, Jason, you're about to take us on your perfect night out at the cinema. You are our guide. We are your audience. Let's go on a trip to the movies. So, we push open the doors to our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer. There's an excited buzz as there always is in a cinema foyer, the hum of anticipation. It's your perfect cinema trip, Jason. Who have you picked, living or dead, to go with you? Dead. And the person is... Bruce Lee. The legend, Bruce Lee. (laughs) Tell me why. He's just an icon and uh, he's a philosopher. My my life and his, I feel like it resonates a lot. And uh, the journey that he's taken uh, resonates with me as well. And when I did The Warrior, Shannon Lee gave me these poems that only the cast got and, and the ticket stub that he got for Enter the Dragon. And these poems were about him as an East Asian actor and also a letter that he wrote to the head of Warner Brothers of why he, we need to see an East Asian lead on camera. And he wrote that and not, these are unseen letters in public. So it's only people in the cast of the warrior. So she sent me those and I, I was in tears when I read them. So yeah, he's, he's a huge influence in my life and, and, and my, my career. So this was, this was, what was this period? It was in the sixties. I think, I believe the, these were in, in, in the late, yeah, fifties, sixties. I believe it's around that, at that period of time when he was just emerging. When he was just doing Cato and and the Green Hornet, and I think he was just writing that bit there, so I believe it's it's, it's late sixties. And I mean, so we're talking about him making uh, that argument then, and and, and here we are in twenty twenty three, and now we are seeing that change that he was arguing for all the way back then. Yeah, we are seeing that, and the first one we really see is from Crazy Rich Asians, and that really changed the culture of our community to be able to be seen as leads. And then Michelle Yale just cemented it recently with her Oscar win and, and key as well. Like he, he literally just, you know, smashed it with that role. So we are seeing that change. There needs to be that, uh, that change is happening a lot in America. We need to see more of that in the UK and on UK television and, and, and UK films. And, but sorry, well, I, I feel like the more we do, the more chances that we'll get and the doors are opening, but they need to be open a bit wider. It's just wedged open at the moment. I want it to be like double doors open, like come in and we'll tell your stories. But for me, it's making sure that we write our own stories for our community. Like I'm born and raised in London, England, West London. So, you know, I would love to see someone from that background being portrayed on TV and screen. So I guess I got to write my own. I mean, you joke, but I, I mean, I don't know if you are. Do you have plans to write or is it just the acting that you're into right now? No, I'm, I'm, I'm writing. I'm trying to do a wine documentary. I'm, I'm, writing, I'm writing a Western as well. And, and I'm doing something-esque of Inferno Affairs slash Luther, but he's a British East Asian detective. So I'm, 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 I'm doing that at the moment for the Met Police. So I'm writing that for myself, actually. <laughs> Selfishly. Why not? <laughs> 
Not selfish, totally clever, totally smart. Definitely do that. That's a great idea. Right, right, right for yourself. Who should I cast? I, I mean, I got an idea here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what was the first movie with Bruce Lee in that you saw? What was your discovery of Bruce Lee? For me, I think it was Enter the Dragon or Big Boss. Those are the two one. The two films that I remember my dad watching. I used to watch. My dad used to watch some of the craziest action films when I was like five years old. I was watching all these action films. So I grew up a lot in Hong Kong cinema. And for me, I just remember. I think it was Big Boss. No, it's the Dragon when he's in the mirrors. I just remember mm. that. I just thought that's the coolest shot. That was like a really cool shot to watch. And it's just like seeing this alpha asian brother on screen whooping ass and i was just like i loved it that was the one for me yeah were you uh were you a jackie chan fan as well i mean i i, I jackie chan was sort of like my 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 way in uh to martial arts uh cinema I, there was a, a film called wheels on meals uh that he did uh years and years ago which i was just it was the combination of um comedy and martial arts, the fact that he instilled so many of his fights with so much humor that just made it really accessible to me, who, who wasn't that mad into martial arts. Yeah, for, I, I feel for me, it was, Jackie Chan was a big influence, but for me, the biggest influence was Jet Li. Jet Li was huge for me, and, um, and Donnie Yen. So those two were the two big action heroes for me. But yeah, Jackie Chan was definitely one of the big ones for me. I just remember watching Rumble in the Bronx, with my dad, with Jackie Chan. And I remember seeing that. And I was like, that is also cool. <laughs> so you and Bruce Lee are going to the cinema. Now there's a clock on the wall in the foyer, Jason. Reads a specific time. What time of day have we gone to the cinema? Three o'clock in the afternoon. Wow, no messing there. No messing straight yeah. up three o'clock. I mean, why Why three o'clock? Because it means we, average film is what, two hours now? Two hours and a half? That brings us over to 4, 5.30. Now we could go grab a drink and then we can go have dinner and talk about the film. You're a big film chatter. You like to discuss the movie afterwards because I'm, I'm the opposite. I like, I like silence. This is why I go to the cinema a lot on my own because I just like to sit with a movie for a good hour before I talk about it. But you like to discuss it. Yeah. I want to know if the person thinks it was good or crap. <laughs> what they liked, what they didn't like, 100%. I, I like to have that little conversation after it. Because sometimes it's in my thoughts and I can be quite impulsive with some things. And then it's nice to have that conversation to see someone's um, different perspective on, on what they saw. Quite a screening at three o'clock, isn't it, though? You know, the big crowds haven't arrived. It's still before a lot of people finish work. You enjoy a quieter screening room? Yeah. Absolutely. No one there having like asking weird questions and one's phone's going off. Yeah, all that stuff. (laughs) Nice and peaceful. All right. Three o'clock. Have you got a favorite place to go to for uh, for dinner afterwards or is it just whatever whatever suits the mood or do you like, I know what I want. I want to go here. I want to eat this. Yeah. Funny enough, like, I like going to the Groucho Club after I finish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I could go to Groucho Club and sit there, have a little old fashioned, have a little, have a little drink before, and then we'll go upstairs and have a burger or a nice or a nice pizza or something like that. That's my little spot. <laughs> Lovely. All right, three o'clock. Now you booked the tickets, Jason, for the cinema trip. Where in the auditorium are we going to be sitting? Oh, this was a hard question. I, I I go center two seats in from the steps. That's very, very specific. Um, normally people are like, I want the middle or I want the aisle, but you want two seats in. Tell me your thought process. That's where? <laughs> yeah, of, of course. This is, this is an 18-rated, R-rated podcast. Go for your life. 
because uh, if it's shit, I can leave <laughs> <laughs> without anyone knowing, and I just walk out of it. <laughs> do you? Do, when you walk out of a movie, you actually will do that if you don't like it. Yeah, if it's boring. If I fall into sleep, I'm gone. <laughs> it means if you don't catch me in the first, if I fall asleep in the first half an hour, forty five minutes, and I think this is a boring, terrible movie, I'm gone. <laughs> you won't. You won't stick it out. I'm just. I, I've no. got this thing. It. If someone so, what was what? If you if you happen to tell me, what's the last movie you walked out of? Uh, I could tell you a, a movie that I, that really annoyed me, Erin Brockovich. <laughs> sure, okay, fine. That when I was I was fourteen, fourteen or fifteen years old, watching it with a bunch of my mates, I'm like, this is a dead film. This film like did not resonate to any of us. I was like, what is this? And then like. Or, or the whole theme, the acting, Gia was an incredible actor, but it's just the story just bored us. It just never resonated to us and we all walked out and got a refund. Okay, so this leads me into my question. When people go, have you seen Aaron Brockovich? Can you, do you say yes? Because the reason I stick it out to the end is because I feel to be able to say, yes, I've seen that movie, I have to, I have to stick it out to the end. I don't think it counts if you walk out before the end. I know, but I, I was in there for like an hour and 15 minutes and I was like, this movie is crap. <laughs> and I was like, and I left. That is absolutely fine. That is absolutely fine. So, again, the two seats thing, though, specifically, why not pick an aisle seat? Why are you two? Why have you got two seats in? Why are you not on the aisle itself if you're thinking about leaving? So you're still going to have to ask people if you can squeeze by. Yeah, normally when you do that, though, people in the cinema, unless it's a packed film, they don't really get because they see two people there. They're like, oh, I'm not doing that, and and that's an unfavorable seat. But it also gives you the angle for space and you can stretch your legs out. So you, it's a bit of a selfish thing because I always get those seats because no, whenever you're at the cinema, you're on the screen, you go, I'm not going to sit there because there's two people there, but there's free space in the middle. I'll take the middle. So it's very unlikely that you're going to get those seats and then it means you get two free seats and can fall asleep if you want. <laughs> I love it. This, I mean, there, uh, there's some scheming. Not scheming. That sounds dark. There's some planning. Let's call it planning. <laughs> it's not my first barbecue walking out it's worse when it's when you're at a screening of, of a film with industry people in there when you get invited to like private screenings <laughs> you are you telling me you'd walk have you ever walked out you can't <laughs> no, jason I, I didn't but i fell asleep and i came out pissed off because i was like that film was that film bored me to death and i was like that film was also dead <laughs> You were in an industry screening that you'd been invited to for a movie. Like with it, you're, you're you're literally through the looking glass here. You're with the people who make the movie, and you're like, <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. Oh my god, it, yeah, it happened. Uh, but I don't snore. That's a good thing. And I just do that, and I just pass out. <laughs> but make a better film. I'm, I'm, there's some films that I love, and there's films that I I, I don't like. But if it's boring and slow, you've lost me. I was like. I'm not going to lie. Tar was a hard watch. I, it took me three, four times to watch Tar. It was a long film. I, acting was brilliant, but I didn't get it. Um, and yeah, so that was that was the one that was that was quite hard. I didn't walk out though. I watched it. I stuck it through because I was like, why is everyone raving about this? I stuck through that and I came out and went, okay, cool. I, I understand. Not my favorite film though. It gets I, 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 about an hour in. Wow, it really kicks into gear. It basically just takes a, an hour to set the whole thing up before it goes. And now the plot. It's uh it is a slow movie, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah. yeah. Not my cup of tea, but it was it was it was all right. <laughs> I didn't all right. fall asleep. All right. <laughs> 
I'll tell you what will uh, keep those uh, those two seats next to you empty, just in case people start sniffing around and looking like, oh, it's a couple of seats over here. If you silently stop practicing jujitsu punches in the dark while you're waiting for the movie to start, people will not sit next to you. You're going to get me cancelled, Alex, man. People are like, <laughs> actor Jason Warren going crazy in the, going crazy in the cinema, attacking people. <laughs> I'm not saying attack them, but if I was looking for a seat and there's a guy just air punching, sitting there silently, I'd be like, probably not near him. <laughs> and then they get kicked out of the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the final thing we need before we enter the auditorium is some food. And the air in the foyer is full of wonderful smells. All manner of snacks and foodstuffs are available at the various counters. What are you choosing to eat? Popcorn, salty and sweet, mixed. I'm that guy. And a, and a bottle of water. And a bottle of water. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is fine. This is, a, this is, I mean, this is a very, very purist approach to, to snacks. Uh, mixed, great. It's our most popular choice on the show. Uh, most people choose mixed popcorn. Um, but most people do go for a fizzy drink. And you are, you are just choosing water. No, I'm just choosing water because working-wise, I just can't. I can't, I can't, it's too naughty for me. I'm trying to be good. <laughs> I'm, I'm very vain like that. So I don't want to, I get fat easy. I can, I can look at a bowl of pasta and I'll gain weight. So I'm trying to hold it down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so are you, uh, like I tried the, uh, like uh, a carb free diet for a while. And I did find myself with my, almost literally with my face pressed up against the window of Pizza Express, coveting people's food. But are you, do you really watch what you eat? Do you have to watch what you eat? I hate it. I hate, I love food. I love rice. I'm Asian. I love rice. I love bread. I love pasta. I love all of that. I love everything that, I love KFC. KFC is my favorite thing. I make everyone eat KFC during my birthday and drink Bordeaux Red. Uh, that's my, like, I love junk food. So I have to make, I'm wait, very wait, conscious. Do you have KFC with, with Bordeaux. what? What was the, what was with, the with drink? With fine wine, with Bordeaux wine. Like that's the way, like that's the jam. Like if you've never done it before, Get yourself a chicken bucket from whichever favorite chicken shop you like and have get a nice Bordeaux red light. Spend a good 50 quid on a nice red wine, decant it for two hours and then smash it. And it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> That's cheeky. I like that. <laughs> okay. Okay, cool. So you do have to watch what you eat though. So there are, there are moments where, you know, when you're, when you're on the clock as opposed to enjoying Bordeaux and uh, KFC where you, you literally have to turn down certain food. Yeah. I got like, I can't eat certain, it's just salads. It's really boring. It's bland and makes me grumpy because I love desserts as well. So ice cream, I'll just smash that. But <laughs> yeah, you have to watch what you have to, because you're on camera for life. It's, it's captured for life and I don't want to look like a chunk of chunk on camera. Chunker, <laughs> <laughs> chunker. Um, I like that. Uh, okay, cool. I'm going to just put it out there. This is your perfect cinema trip. This is almost like a day off from reality. This is, let's, let's imagine that anything you eat in this cinema has absolutely no long-term effects on your body. What would you go for in Dreamland? Oh, um, I have like four scoops of ice cream um, and then I'll do a hot dog. Uh, with, with ketchup and mustard uh, and pickles on it and then I'd have like a massive <laughs> Sprite <laughs> and I'll smash that and uh, and minstrels I'm down for the minstrels a packet of minstrels and I will eat all of that before the film starts <laughs> just do it for the trailers I finish everything <laughs> alright what I'm seeing is is 
real life Jason and what he has to go through and fantasy Jason and what's in his head. I, I, I've seen a real a real difference in these orders now that I've given you a, a, a pass for whatever you want. That's All amazing. Right. Yeah. All right, let's leave the foyer then and walk down the corridor towards the auditorium. Now, I'm going to put up posters along the cinema wall to illustrate some of your most important movie memories. And the first poster depicts your fondest movie memory. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The, the, not the cartoon, the live action one in the 90s. That oh, I know. Up. That was my, the film that I went to watch with my dad. My dad passed out. Maybe I got it for my dad. My dad fell asleep. But I remember I really wanted to go watch it. And my dad had... During his break, he had a three-hour break because my dad was chef, and he was exhausted. Like he does a lot, he did long hours, but he still took me to the cinema to watch a film with me, and he just passed out and snored and the entire thing. And it was just me and my dad, and it was about three o'clock when we watched it. So I probably, that's probably the time that came through, and so that was the fondest memory I had of my father watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with my dad. That's amazing that, you know, despite his long hours, he still was like, we, I'm going to take my son to the movies. Yeah. And, and maybe because he knew it was my favorite, that I loved the Teenage Mutant Ninja Tales growing up. So that was my big thing. I used to remember all the words to, do you remember Partners in Crime? The uh, the rap uh, that uh, accompanied it, T-U-R-T-L-E Power, uh, Leonardo, Michelangelo, and Donatello make up the team with one other fellow, Raphael. He's the leader of the group, transformed from the norm by the nuclear goop. Pizza's the food that's sure to please. These ninjas are into pepperoni and cheese. There you go. How do you that's, still that's, remember that's, that? <laughs> how do you still remember that? That's mad. I'm so bad with lyrics, but how do you still remember that? I was just having flashbacks. They were listening to you. I I I don't do any uh, sport. I uh, I don't have uh, any party tricks uh, whatsoever. My one gift is that I can recite the entire of Partners in Crime Turtle Power, and 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 I do, and and no one enjoys it apart from me. But that's 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 the only thing I have. When people go, what should we do? Should we do something? I'm like, hold up. But you've also got an encyclopedia of film knowledge behind you. Like you're one of the best film journalists for me. So that that's that's always something I've admired you. Every time you talk about film, like you're not just talking to actors, like asking them Monday questions. You know about cinema. Like you know cinema really well. Thanks, Jason. I know that's your job. <laughs> no, I, I, that's very kind of you to say. And yet, still, if if given the the the, the option by some sort of demonic force. Lose the ability to recite turtle power or lose all your film knowledge. I'd still lose the film knowledge to keep that. <laughs> Man, that was a good flashback. Second poster time as we continue down the corridor. This second poster I'm putting up depicts your worst movie memory. Uh, it has to be Aaron Brockovich. <laughs> Sorry. I know it was a really politically film. Like it was a, now growing up watching it again, I watched it again and I, I understood it. But growing up, I just remember because. I went there with the school man then and we all couldn't get into the 15th film. I think it was Spawn that we're trying to go watch, but we couldn't get into it. So we had to go watch Aaron Brockovich and all of us were just complete riots in there. And that was just like, I was trying to control my friends, not being a bunch of street rats and, and they were just going to write. They're like, this film's, and they would just start throwing popcorn and then the cinema staff had to come in and then we were like, we want a refund and we left. So that was probably my worst cinematic memory. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, just I just I just a clarification here. So it, the worst cinematic memory is because you Aaron Brockovich is a bad film, or because your friends were behaving like little terrors in the cinema, chucking popcorn about, and you and you had to leave. Or are you saying that really the two are 
inseparable and Erin Brockovich is responsible for turning your friends into demon childs. Yeah, Erin Brockovich turned us lot into some sort of like, <laughs> we had a little mini right in the cinema basically. And I say we left and got a refund. We kind of got asked to leave. <laughs> and then they said, we're giving you a refund. So I just remember the other part of that story of why they liked the film because we got booted out of it. Because <laughs> we're making so much noise and people are complaining about us. A major cinema chain paid you to leave Erin Brockovich. Wow. <laughs> just, 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 just to uh, really sort of close off this experience, have you seen Spawn uh, since? Did you ever get to watch Spawn? Yeah, we did. I think <laughs> this is really bad. We're in the White Lee Cinema, and we we went to we went over there instead, and we and we paid for Erin Brockovich again because <laughs> it was in the same time, <laughs> and we sneaked into Spawn. <laughs> Because it was a PG film or something like that. It was like a 12. It was like a PG 12 or something like that. And we sneaked into sport at the back. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, okay. So just... I'd argue Spawn is as close to unwatchable as a a film can be. I mean, I've, I've, I, I love John Leguizamo. Not even he can save Spawn. Um do you are you telling me that for you that day Spawn was a better movie than Erin Brockovich? It, from what I remember, we we did enjoy it more than Erin Brockovich. I I just remember that as a kid, but I think because we were like we we're caught in that whole Spawn hype because we all read the graphic novels and and that sort of like got us into that whole vibe. But I think at that moment, anything that had <laughs> more that was a bit faster paced than Erin Brockovich did it for us. So yeah. I don't know why I got it in for it now. <laughs> the Spawn and the Spawn comics are great. And if there if there's a character that really deserves a second shot of the big screen, it's it's Spawn. Um, because uh, the first time around, again, I don't think that movie even actually makes sense when you watch it. It is it is bad bad cinema. Right, putting up a poster then for Aaron Brockovich. As we continue down the corridor, we're going to put up a third poster. And the third poster depicts the last performance that brought you, Jason, to tears. Brendan Fraser in the well. Oh, I was sobbing. That made me cry. That, uh, he was incredible in that. He was incredible in that. What a movie. Yeah. What a performance. Um, uh, did you like the movie as a whole? Because I keep saying what a movie. And a lot of people, it didn't get nominated for Best Picture. Um I think it's almost impossible to separate his performance from the movie as a whole, but did you enjoy the whole movie or was it just his performance? No, I enjoyed the whole movie. I, I enjoyed the dynamics between the different characters. I love the fact that it was just primarily set in his living room and, and you don't need all these big, crazy sets to tell a simple story about this man's journey and the effects that and the relationship with his daughter and, and his best friend who had to come back and that, the the the, the pizza guy who kept delivering the food who kept checking in on him and and yeah but also like that aspect of loneliness and and, and mental health and i mean I, I don't think there was a dry eye in that in, in that screening room when we were watching it and it was it was great i love i came out and i went he's gonna win he's gonna win the oscar he's gonna win. i knew he was gonna win the oscar for that because he was just incredible and even thinking about it when i think about his performance that gets me a bit emotional as well because it was just so powerful. Like, yeah. And I made a mistake. I, I didn't bring a tissue. So I was like this with my t-shirt. Going. I was like, oh, it's not. I was like, I was, it, was, it, was, it was nasty. It was not a great moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is, a, that is a 10 tissue movie at least. Yeah. It's, it's great. I mean, like as an actor, 
to have had, and I was just talking about this, someone else picked uh, his performance recently uh, as an answer to this question. And to sort of look at where he's been and what's happened to him and his journey. And do you, do you think the narrative off screen uh, and, you know, to go from this marquee name, the mummy, the mummy returns the, these films to, you know, you know, disappearing from our screens for so long and then to have such a comeback. Do you think that off screen narrative was part of your enjoyment of watching him do so well in this movie? Or could you just look at the performance independently? Yeah, so I, I didn't. I only read a little bit about his, you know, off screen, off screen personal stuff going on, and I don't really pay attention to that too much. But for me, it was just he still captured me in the moment. Whatever happened, whatever he, whatever he experienced over the years that he was absent, he brought that to that character. And and when he was crying, those were real tears. Like whatever he was supplement, whatever he was substituting to get that performance was incredible in that moment of stillness where he was just looking at his him and his partner's photograph or that room that he had preserved i was like oh because when my father passed away there was a lot of things that happened with my my mom and, and my dad and and she kept a lot of his clothes and it took a while for it to like sort of clear out and so i was just there was a lot of personal stuff there when i was watching i was like Oof, i understand how he feels about loss and 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 if anyone has experienced loss and it's hopefully no one does but at some point we will it's it's very sad and it resonated in that film and the, that that moment of stillness we just opened that cold empty room with all his partner's stuff and it was the room that he used to be in there with his partner i was like oof that was a that was a tough one there that's when my tears started going woof <laughs> and um crying in the cinema were you were you on your own or were you with friends no i was with friends and and another person who i would never think another actor <laughs> who i'll say it's funny was it reese yates uh he's he's doing really well he's in the covenant with me i was watching him and i was trying to hide myself crying and there's a moment i was like fuck it we'll get here i'm crying now so i just started crying and i turned around and he was going and, and he's not crying either. and i just sort of did that and then <laughs> i was like Oh, he's crying too. And he was trying to hide the fact he was crying as well. Because <laughs> we just all did this war movie together. So we're all tough and, and all this stuff. And we're, we're like, we're, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, ne- ne- next time we're eating steak with Guy. Never mention this. We won't mention this at all. Just eat the steak and we don't talk about the whale. Yeah, no. Do you want, I, I, I'm not going to say that, but I was going to say, it was like, I think a guy gets quite emotional too when he sees something quite, you know, when it hits him nice. We, we act all tough, but we're all little softies inside. <laughs> yeah, and like you say, it would take a heart of stone not to be moved by the whale. We're putting up a poster for the whale as the last performance that brought you to tears. Our final poster before we enter the auditorium depicts your unpopular movie opinion. My unpopular movie opinion. I don't like Godfather 2. I love one. Oh, wait, first of all, I love Godfather. I love the whole saga, right? But if you had me to choose between two, one is given. It's great. If you had me to choose the one that I don't like is Godfather 2. Okay, so this is uh, this is unpopular because obviously if we're talking about the whole saga, you know, to prefer Godfather Part 1 to Godfather Part 2, not an unpopular opinion. To say that The Godfather Part 2 is not as good as The Godfather Part 3, now we're talking. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That starts controversial. I was like, you're not an actor. Like, it gets, really, it gets people angry. <laughs> and then people question my whole credibility as an artist. They're like, why? 
I am not going to question that. That's This isn't about your credibility as an artist. It is about fundamentally understanding your thinking behind this opinion. Why do you prefer three to two? Resolution. You have resolution. And you have an ending. And you have the end journey of Michael Corleone. And I love the time jump of seeing Al Pacino, that softer spoken to the to the slightly more madder version, but also Andy Garcia is so chic and poised in his performance there. And I just love that story. And and it really revolves more about him trying to change and transition from being this mobster gangster to try and be this good Samaritan. And the fact that you've got, you know, he's involving the church and basically Francis Ford Coppola is saying the church is also very corrupt. They are like the mob. And I was like, there's a lot of big themes going on here. Uh, So, there's a lot going on for me. And I just think performance wise, people are a lot stronger in that. And I'm not saying De Niro is not a strong performance in that. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But the storyline just didn't do it for me there. There's too many flashbacks. And I found it hard to maintain that engagement. It's just not my problem. I, I loved seeing that transition of power from Michael Corleone to, to Andy Garcia's character. And, and seeing that transition that also not uh, people don't clock on that that's Sonny's uh, people have to watch that a few times to go oh that's Sonny's illegitimate bastard son could, and there's they did that very subtly they didn't throw it in your face it was just subtle references to him not being uh, the fourth thing he's sort of shunned from the family you sort of want to know a bit more about his backstory how did he grow up knowing that he's a member of this very powerful family but is not accepted by this family. And there was a line when Michael Corleone said, I, I wanted you to be a lawyer. I wanted you to do this, but you refused. And, and that was an interesting moment. I was like, I want to know more about how he came up the ranks uh, as Sonny's, Sonny Corleone's son, but without the support of the full family. You know, like, because Italians are very similar to Chinese families. They're very supportive and close knit. So those are some of the reasons you like three. You touched on a couple, but give me some some of the reasons that you don't like two. You, uh, there's the flashbacks. Uh, there's the the flashbacks for me. I just I got I got annoyed with that, and also the the story between Michael Corleone and and his brother Alfredo. But he is John Cazale is, is an incredible actor. I think he's incredible. But a lot of that with the Cubans and and. And who was the other guy? Um, he's a famous acting coach. Strasbourg. Is it Strasbourg? Lee Strasbourg. Lee Strasbourg. Yeah. I, I, and I was watching, I was like, oh, like I thought there was going to be more, like the great Lee Strasbourg. Like I've read all his books and then I was like, oh, that's, that's Strasbourg. That was the, <laughs> so there was a lot of that. I was just like, I'm not convinced. There was a lot, there's too many storylines going on there for me. All right. I knew it was you, Fredo. The kiss of death, though. The, the New Year's, the, the, but that was the only good, that for me was the only good part of that scene. That was it. <laughs> unpopular, unpopular. <laughs> it fits the bill. It fits the bill. We are putting up a poster for The Godfather Part 3 because it is better than The Godfather Part 2. Yeah. Love it, Jason. Love it. All right. Let's get ourselves into this auditorium now. There's a queue of people hoping to join yourself and the legend Bruce Lee in this cinema. Now, you said earlier, you go at three o'clock, you don't like a busy room. Do you want to let these people in? Do you want a communal experience? Do you want to let a handful in? Do you want to let no one in? I know I'll let people in because it's also good to see how if people are laughing at certain things in the moments that I don't laugh, I'd like to see that reaction too. Yeah. So 
or people like cry is like, oh, why is that person crying there? It's like when I was at the premiere of Dungeons and Dragons, I wasn't watching the screen. I was watching how people were reacting. Primarily, my mum who was sat next to me to see if she thought it was shit, but I was watching everyone else's reactions, who laughed, who didn't, where where people engaged and were people like tense when we're doing our fight scene. And, and so I always like to watch that because that's the whole atmosphere of the cinema as well. I totally get that. I watched it on my own and I, I, I'd be fascinated to know because I have quite a weird sense of humor sometimes. I'm like, am I finding this funny or would everyone find this funny? What is, what is, what's the communal funniness? What was the biggest laugh when you watched it with a crowd? It was Hugh. Hugh got the most laughs. Everyone cracked up with him. And I think I'm going to watch it because that was like an industry crowd as well. People were like sort of asked to go there. So I might go again tonight, opening night and just go there and watch go there and watch Dungeons and Dragons tonight and, and see and see a real audience's perspective. Because you always know if the kids, if they like it or not, and if they fall asleep or you go, this is boring and they start shouting or whatever, you'll know, like, you know. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go and test the waters tonight. And uh, and what was mum's review? Uh, did she give you a, a review? She enjoyed it, yeah. She didn't say it was bad, so <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> She's brutal sometimes. <laughs> My mothers can be. I, I I fundamentally understand that. It's like saying nothing is a good review. Uh, it's better than uh, it, it means. If you've got no complaints, mum, uh, that means I didn't do bad thing. Good. Exactly. I'll tell you what she did do though. She made, when I came back for the premiere, she left all this Hollywood stuff. She left rubbish out at the front door. She was like, "Take that out." <laughs> I was like, "All right." <laughs> came home and I was like, "All right, but humble pie." <laughs> Yep, keep those, keep those feet on the ground. Uh, all right, then. The crowd goes wild. They're pouring into the auditorium. Now, before the movie you've picked for us begins, we're going to play a few things on the screen. And the first thing we're going to do is play a trailer for the film you're most looking forward to. The film I'm looking most forward to. Ah, it's, it's, can I say a film that's just come out? I'm not going to lie, it's John Wick 4. <laughs> Are you allowed to? Are you allowed to pick that? Are the Paramount snipers going to be like, what, Jason? What did you say? I know, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, but that's come on. It's it's Keanu Reeves, man. <laughs> I mean, let's talk about John Wick Four then. As, as someone who enjoys that action on screen and certainly enjoys, you know, uh, fighting martial arts in general. Would you argue that John Wick is delivering some of the best action we can see on a cinema screen right now under the direction of Chad Stahelski? Absolutely. I feel like they just sit there and go, how can we just be super outrageous? We don't care about really, like they're not thinking about whether this can actually happen. It's like, can we film this and make this look like a badass film? This is like adult Marvel, basically. I, it's, it's a vote of confidence, isn't it, as well? I mean, you mentioned Donnie Yen earlier and uh, the fact that Donnie Yen has been offered so many roles in Hollywood and has actively turned them down. And this was a movie he was like, I'm in. He's playing, I, I haven't watched it yet. He's playing a blind assassin, right? He's, that's all I know from the trailers. It, it's crazy. Like, it's ridiculous. It's just like, <laughs> and he's doing all these stunts and he's not looking. You can see the trailers. He's not looking. He's fighting. I was like, how's he doing that? Like, it's incredible. I was saying this to some friends yesterday. I ain't going for the storyline. I'm going to watch the fight scenes and to be entertained. I don't care how far-fetched it is. He can jump off like, it's just like when we're watching the old school Crouching Tiger. We know they can't, people can't fly, but they're flying and, and they're diving into like the abyss. And it's like, but I don't care because it's cool. All right. John Wick 4 is the trailer we're playing and what a trailer that is as well. Next up, we're going to play your favorite shot or sequence from a film. What are we playing? In the Mood for Love by Wong Kar Wai with Tony Leung and Maggie Chung. And the sequence that I've chosen is 
both of them are walking to go get their dinner. One's coming up, she's just bought her meal, and the other one's going down to go and eat it. And they have this interaction where they pass each other on the staircase. And it's so tender, it's so touching because it's a love story, yet we never see them physically touch. And it's just a beautiful moment of seeing capturing cinematic romance. And it's just so chic and so beautifully shot. And the longest slow-mo sequence, I believe, that I've seen in a long time on, on camera. And it's just so beautifully done. And it tells a story. Yeah, it sounds I haven't seen it. Um it sounds like uh it sounds like the um the age old adage of cinema, show don't tell. The fact that they you can convey all this without two characters going, Oh I, I love you or whatever. Um it sounds great. So when did you first see In the Mood for Love? And and go and do the hard sell on me because like I said, I haven't seen it. In the Mood for Love apparently took two and a half to three years to make and there was no script, it was all improvised. And it's Wong Kar Wai, it's Tony Leung, and it's a love story about a couple who are both married and yet they sort of interact and they're both working I believe one of them is always away on work and the other one's in Hong Kong working and, and his wife is somewhere else. And they have this interaction where they meet each other and they know about each other's partners and they both love each other, but they never speak about their love for one another. And, uh, and you see the continuation with 2046, My Blueberry Nights with Jude Law and Nora Jones. It's meant to be a trilogy of the story of this continuation of this love poem that Wong Kar Wai has with his characters. And so for me, In the Mood for Love is the most beautifully cinematic film ever made. And it's, it's a love story without seeing any physical touch, which is very unusual to see on camera. I'm playing it. I'm playing it for you. Thank you for the hard sell, by the way. I really enjoyed that. I think I'm going to go check that out immediately after this interview. In the Mood for Love is the sequence we're playing. Uh, now, Jason, you very kindly, you've done a lovely thing. You've printed out T-shirts as a gift for our audience and indeed Bruce Lee with your favorite movie quote emblazoned on the front. What is your favorite movie quote? <sighs> this is a challenging one. <laughs> so for me, it's going to be empty your mind, be formless, shapeless. You put water into a cup, it becomes a cup. You put water into the teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now, water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. <laughs> and that's the one. That is a very, very good impression as well. That's a very good impression. <laughs> oh, I was like, went into it halfway. <laughs> There's a, a film now. Let me try and remember what it's called. It was a weird karate kid ripoff. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's... Uh, no retreat, no surrender, where a kid um, is trained by the ghost of Bruce Lee to become a brilliant martial artist and defeat the school bullies. Um, or at least that's sort of meant to be the plot, but in the end he fights the mafia, I think. It's terrible. It's also kind of brilliant. No retreat, no surrender. If you've not seen it... I'm going to watch that. It's probably, it's probably quite offensive as a huge Bruce Lee fan, but it's also seriously insanely enjoyable when you get into it okay i'll watch that no surrender no retreat no surrender yeah okay i'll watch that <laughs> i'll be interested to see how that turns out i'll watch it i'm kind of worried now <laughs> no i'm kind of worried the next time the, the, the next time we see each other and you're like 
did I do something to piss you off? Because you made me watch No Retreat, No Surrender. So I'm not clear. Have we fallen out? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> maybe don't watch it. Well, well no, Quinton, Quinton's taking the heat for his version of Bruce Lee. A lot of people weren't big, big fans of that. But yeah, that was a, that was a controversial moment. <laughs> We had that discussion uh, uh, on this show uh, the other day, which uh, generated uh, a lot of debate uh, um, on social media. Yeah, what's? I mean, I, I'm almost scared to ask you your take on it, but if do you have a take on it? I'm indifferent about it because because there's so many stories, and and I'm uh, Quinton is a huge martial art fan. He loves kung fu films, and I know he's a big he has a big admiration for Bruce Lee. So I'm just not sure why. It was depicted like that, or his justification was it a homage? Was it was it trying to serve his story? You know, so I wouldn't write him off because I, he brings a lot of great films to the West from Asia. Some epic. He brought Hero, I believe, to to the West. He's brought a lot of big films. So he's a diehard Asian cinema fan, and he pays a lot of respect and homage to to big Asian actors. So. With that in mind, I'm not going to write him off for what he did in for what how he portrayed Bruce in that. But yeah, I'm indifferent. But that's his creative vision, and that's what he wanted, and that's his prerogative. When I'm in that position, if well, if I ever direct, I'll have my provocative or how I want to. I'll have my version of why I want to interpret certain stories, and that's that's okay. I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> you say if I give it a matter of months before you're in the director's chair, the way you're going, Jason. I look forward to it. I want to see you direct. I want to see you direct. I reckon you'd be good. (laughs) I've got a script. Uh, We'll talk afterwards. It's a brilliant script. It's an action movie. You'll love it. Very fast-paced. In fact, it's been been called the polar opposite of Erin Brockovich. Uh, Much more in line with it. An action-packed Godfather Part 3 is how I'd review it. So, so yeah, we should talk. Uh, Okay, right. The final thing we're going to do before we get to the movie you've picked for us tonight is play your favourite song or score from a film for again from in the mood for love and it's uh Yumeji's theme Yumeji's theme and that's spelled y-u-m-e-j-i-s Yumeji's theme and it's the score from in the mood for love it's that score when they walk past each other and uh, that is i think it's played on a cello and it's very simple and there's a violin score the, and there's a violin in the background as well and it's just when you watch that little scene on your YouTube and it's very cinematic and it's a beautiful score to listen to. This film, this film seems to like have infused you with a, a, a love of cinema and the score and this shot. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. So I, I, I feel like you'll be a fan, especially because it's it, the cinematographer is Christopher Doyle and each frame by frame, the way they shot it in between the doorways, you'll love it because it's just a classic cinema film and it's beautiful. <laughs> Sorry, my dog just went crazy there. <laughs> oh, is it your dog? Yeah. I've got a little whippet who I was literally, he was looking at me just to the left of us for a moment. And I was like, he was looking like, I'm, I think I'm hungry. And I'm like, when he's hungry, he'll start yowling. And I just can't, I can't have it. And I was like, I was stroking him secretly. I was like, no, yeah, no, no. I was no, the same thing. And then she just finally left for something that I was just like, oh God, come here. Sorry about that. It's fine. What, what, what dog have you got? I've got a Cavapoo. She's uh she's been a little blessing, a little cabin through. I got her whilst I was filming Sign of Witness. And uh but she's like ready for a walk. <laughs> yeah, my uh my, my what's her name? Poppy. Poppy. Okay, yeah. I've got I've got a Simon Simon the Whippet here who is also ready for a walk, but they don't get walked yet because they don't understand how 
bigger moment we've arrived at. It is now time, Jason, to announce the film. The film, out of all other films, you have decided to screen for our packed auditorium and the legend Bruce Lee tonight. Jason, what are we watching? We are going to be watching Inferno Affairs by Andrew Lau with Tony Leung and Andy Lau and Anthony Wong. And this film is the original film that The Departed was based on. And for me, it's one of the great cops and robber films. And uh, and it's cinematically beautiful. It's It keeps you engaged. There's lot They play tension really well. And for me, that's one of my favorite films of all time. Infernal Affairs is an amazing film. It is arguably better than The Departed. Um, I assume you agree. Absolutely. I felt they kind of stole that shot for shot. And I felt like that remake, I mean, they, they, the cast obviously brought a different nuance to it. And obviously the corruption that happens in Boston you know, could par on with Hong Kong. But literally the, the, the way the story happens in Hong Kong is more believable than it can happen in the United States. For me anyway. So where were you when you saw it? I was in Singapore and I watched it in the cinema and I lied a fake ID, I think, because it was like 18 or something. And I, and I lied about my age and I went in there to watch it because it is quite brutal and violent. But it's about the mob, the mafia, the underground triads in, in Hong Kong and, and police and the police and the corruption of the police and how, they inf- and how the triads managed to infiltrate the police to get them in senior positions to help them facilitate criminal activities. I mean, were you, were you living in Singapore at the time? Were you visiting? No, I was visiting my grand. I was visiting my grand and I remember seeing this trailer for it. I, feel, I think I was watching something else and I saw the trailer for it. I was like, this is incredible. This is a great film. I love watching those films. Because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, there are certain laws that are quite strict in Singapore. Uh, you know, like you, you, uh, they're not allowed to chew gum on the street. I believe. I don't know whether these are, are myths that have made their way over here or whether they're actual facts. Yeah, yeah. So there's no bubble gum. You can get dental gum, and uh, but you can, you have to have a prescription with that. And you, there's, they call it the fine city because you get fined for everything. You get like if you just if you had a few beers and you pissed on the side of the street. That's a thousand dollar fine. You jaywalk. That's a fine. Uh, you pick flowers. That's a fine. Uh, you 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 can't have sex without a condom if it's not someone you're married to because that I don't know how they prove that, but that's a fine. But even though prostitution is legal there, it's weird. <laughs> but there's a lot of things that are like street hawking is is a fine if you're selling like illegal things or things that aren't sanctioned on street markets. That's a fine. So you have to have be in a designated street market. Like there's a lot, but it's controlled. It's very, it's a, it's quite a utopian society. But I love Singapore. It's, a, it's, a, it's home away from home for me. But yeah, it's a very safe place. Next question. It kind of sounds like sneaking into a cinema with a fake ID probably has a fine attached. Probably, but <laughs> <laughs> you can't prove it. <laughs> I think it was a fifteen, but it was fine. I was I still, I still managed to get into it. I had like a little British driving license. <laughs> I got from Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've not been. I almost went to Singapore. I was in. Um, I was in Kuala Lumpur once. I was traveling, very young, nineteen years old, and I loved Kuala Lumpur. I, I, it's. I always struggle to differentiate movies from real life sometimes, or I, I almost look for movies in real life. And I was in Kuala Lumpur, standing underneath a monorail in the pouring rain with a giant, like, uh, animated ad board next to me, and I swear I was like. 
I'm in Blade Runner. This is amazing. Yeah, they go big over there. They go big over there. Especially like, just, you can't replicate their cities and the way it looks. It's just got this this texture to it, which is why we, you know, for whether it's Kuala Lumpur, Singapore, Hong Kong, it's why we had to shoot strangers in Hong Kong because you can't beat the dynamics and the buildings and the dirt on it, the neon lights. And it's just, yeah, it's just beautiful. Do you, do you still go back much? I go back to, oh, I don't go back as much now because I got a dog, but before I used to go back every year and I'll go to like Singapore and see my family in Malaysia and then I'll go see my mates in Hong Kong and, and I'll just spend a few days at each each little location. And and yeah, it's, it, it's I love going back next, primarily the food's amazing and then there's sun and it's warm. It's not freezing and gray like it is today in old blighty. <laughs> dogs man right it's like people are like do you want to come and do this i'm like i'd love to but dog um I, no one i think no one tells you enough just what a responsibility a dog is maybe this is me maybe i should have looked it up maybe done more research but yeah they're a they're a life changer yeah but aren't they lovely though aren't they just everyone did say to me like don't get a dog it's gonna it's gonna be tough on your on your lifestyle i was like nah i'll be fine but luckily i've got my mum with me so she's <laughs> she's always helping me look after her <laughs> all right Jason, that is it. Infernal Affairs, the credits are rolling and people are milling out of the cinema, smiling, chatting, and thanking you for taking them on this incredible trip to the movies. But before you go, it's time for this week's mystery question as we ask, oh, what's in the box? I saw you with the box. What was in the box? Oh, what's in the box? Got a box. Okay. Here we go. Here's your mystery question this week. So, you recently ticked the action box on the big screen with Dungeons & Dragons and The Covenant. Is there a dream role you'd really like to take on in a movie? A character from literature or comic books who you, Jason, are desperate to play? I would love to play someone in love and show that side because I think I've ticked all the boxes for gangsters, stoic, angry. Uh, law enforcement strong characters I'd like to play someone who's lost in love and who feels a bit vulnerable and maybe have a little scene where I just sort of well up and cry because I did that a little bit on Silent Witness but I haven't been able to play those more tender characters on screen just yet that is something I would like to do you're putting down the giant glowing sword you're putting down the m4 carbine and you're picking up a bunch of flowers and standing outside a window in the rain proclaiming your love yeah straight up like how to lose a girl in 10 days how to lose a guy in 10 days notebook vibes <laughs> that sort of uh, that sort of vibes i would love to do that just being uh, someone who's who's lost in love or or just Someone who's a bit more complex than just getting angry all the time and just wants to beat up or kill someone. I play a lot of assassins, <laughs> Alex. Like, uh, my recent thing, I just did Alex uh, uh, Alex Ryder on, on Amazon Prime. Like, I'm just playing angry. Like, a <laughs> I'm just angry and evil all the time. <laughs> right, good. Let's get get rid of that typecasting. You got to move away. I'm into it. I love it. Jason, I want to see you. I want to see you in the the most heartfelt, like raw, emotional, bleeding soul. I want to play a soppy bastard. Yeah, <laughs> a soppy bastard. <laughs> so we just soppy. <laughs> Jason, that is it. 
Your taxi has arrived to ferry you back to reality, but before you leave, let's recap your perfect night out at the cinema. You are going with the legend Bruce Lee at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. You are sitting in the middle row, two seats in from the aisle. Initially, you were going to get popcorn, sweet and salted mixed, and a bottle of water. But with your arm twisted and no permanent effects on your physique, you're having four scoops of ice cream, you're having a hot dog with ketchup, mustard and pickles, you're having a massive Sprite, and you're chucking in some minstrels as well. The poster that depicts your fondest movie memory is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990, which you went to see at 3pm with your dad. The poster that depicts your worst movie memory is Erin Brockovich. You wanted to watch Spawn, it turned you and your friends into terrors. The last performance that brought you to tears was putting up a poster for The Whale. And the poster that depicts your unpopular movie opinion, Godfather Part 3 because it's better than Godfather Part 2. The movie you're most looking forward to, we're playing the trailer for John Wick 4. We are playing the scene from In the Mood for Love when the characters walk past each other in slow motion, potentially the longest slow motion sequence in a film ever. We are printing on t-shirts Bruce Lee's Become Water quote. We are then going to be listening to Umaji's theme from In the Mood for Love before we play the movie Infernal Affairs Jason, thank you for taking us on a trip to the movies. Have you had a good time? I've had a great time. Thank you so much, Alex. It's been the best. It's been a pleasure. I can't wait to see you in How to Lose Another Guy in 10 Days. (laughs) Jason, thank you, mate. And as Jason's cab carries him away from our virtual cinema off into the distance, it's your chance to win a pair of tickets for a night out at a very real Odeon cinema. As I said at the start, the lovely people at Odeon have given us a pair of tickets to give away every week, and if you'd like the chance of getting these tickets, all you have to do is leave us a review of the show or a comment on our socials. You can leave a review on whichever podcast platform you use, be it Apple Podcasts or other, or you can get in touch on any of our socials, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok, where we are at Trip to movies pod the competition is only open to uk residents and tickets exclude only in leicester square and only in lux and just before i say my final farewell for this episode don't forget you can find the full video interview for today's jason wong episode and indeed every guest on our trip to the movies youtube channel so why not head over there and subscribe it's a lot of fun thanks for listening i'll be back next week when another guest takes us on a trip to the movies bye-bye